Hello there, friends, and welcome back to the New Blocks. We've got our shiny new logo to debut today, and episode six here, custody, is the big topic we're talking about today. Kevin, welcome back to the show, buddy. How are you? You ready for another one of these episodes? Yeah, I'm ready. I, uh, I'm excited to talk about all the different ways that you can own crypto. Uh, I think this is one thing that sets crypto apart from sort of traditional finance and um definitely throws people for a loop uh, as they're getting into it. Buddy, so, this is yeah. the thing. This is like crypto's big deal. We keep talking about ownership and I hear all these crypto heads always mentioning the, don't you want to take control of your own financial future? Don't you want to actually own it rather than a bank owning it and just giving you access to those numbers? And of course it doesn't work exactly like that, but uh, that's the extreme summarization of what we're going to talk about today, right? The actual ownership behind cryptocurrency and the nature of this whole decentralized beast uh, in a more specific angle. So I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I think the first thing to sort of understand when you're getting into crypto is that the, the concept of ownership uh, is, is a bit of a gray subject uh there, there's a lot of different ways to own crypto and so a lot of time you'll hear the term custody uh as as the the specific um you know like the type of ownership so who actually is the custodian who who holds the 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 actual physical mm -hmm. crypto in a sense that you know there's always going to be one source of truth and that and so um just talking through, I think I want to spend this episode talking through the the different sort of levels of ownership that exist in, in okay. crypto. And I think this is relevant uh, based on you know, recent GameStop conversations and this whole idea of short sales, the history behind that, this lag time before an order goes in. This idea of custody is relevant even with the stock market. And that's part of this AMC GameStop conversation. And that lag time of Robinhood closes uh, orders or, or sales one way, who actually owns all these tickets that are still pending, even though Robinhood gives you credit right away, that's kind of just a confirmation on the screen. That's not necessarily um, where that ticket is, so to speak, as it's being processed along the way. So um, yeah, yeah, similarly, the concept of, you know, naked shorting, uh, without going into too much detail in the uh, GameStop case, but like um, Melvin Capital and these other uh, hedge funds were essentially capable of creating GameStop stock out of thin air and using like borrowing something that doesn't exist and selling it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's this concept of naked shorting where there's there's no no ownership of the actual stock that's occurring mm -hmm. and yet it is still being sold onto the market to to push sell pressure. So right. this is a again, it's a very foreign concept in crypto land uh, and one of the problems that <laughs> we we hope to solve. Yeah, I guess so, we're not dealing with derivatives yet and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk through. Uh, I, I've I've outlined this in sort of a language that we uh, all understand. So uh, in sort of like the league model, starting at the bronze league, uh, this, this this bronze league ownership in crypto would be something like an exchange uh, where you sign up and you have the ability to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these other cryptocurrencies but not actually withdraw it. So you don't actually 
uh, end up owning, you, you don't have the ability to own the crypto that you're purchasing. You're essentially just gaining exposure to the price action of it. Okay. Yeah. So this is stuff like Robinhood, you know, like interface first where you're just buying it kind of like a commodity, like a stock, not you, you, you don't have a wallet address that you have to deal with. You don't have to do any of the technical stuff. It's just, I click buy Bitcoin, my portfolio shows however much Bitcoin I bought, and then I can sell it back to Robinhood only whenever I want to. It, it's just a stock through an exchange from, from the conceptual standpoint. Yeah, that's correct. And, and I think some other companies have uh, started to jump into this space. Um, it's not clear exactly what um, will be, uh, what different companies will be offering from the very beginning. But mm -hmm. I know uh, Venmo and PayPal recently have announced that they are going to get into uh, essentially allowing for purchasing of crypto. My assumption, you know, given the the existing model with sort of the like easier user experiences, things like Robinhood, um, it's sort of tailored to like like the ability to speculate on it, and that's it. Um, and right. so, without you know knowing the particulars of what those other companies will offer, um, I can't necessarily say that they fit into the Bronze League uh, just yet, but just know that this is like sort of the bottom tier of ownership because you don't actually own the crypto. You own an IOU that you'll never actually be able to redeem for that the, the actual underlying crypto. Right. Um, so next level up from that, I love how you skipped silver, by the way, in your little outline here. <laughs> you just went right to, to gold tier ownership from bronze. Yeah, we're going to right to gold. Um, but but this is the, the kind of stuff that functions similarly but um, the custody exists 100% on the exchange. So like Coinbase is a good example of this. A um, little bit different from Robinhood. Yeah, exactly. And so the next level up is this idea that now not only can you buy crypto, but you can withdraw it and, and use it. Um, and you have the ability to take custody if you choose to. Um, that being said, in the in the gold tier that I'm outlining, I think that the idea here is that you know you're still leaving all of your money on the exchange, and so they are technically the custodian um, and the people that have the the actual ownership of the crypto. Um, but you know there are some big companies out here now that have been doing it for a while. Coinbase is sort of the the biggest in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, Gemini is another really big one, um, and it's a, it's a you know, a good user experience, pretty easy to sign yeah. up. Um, when you say withdrawal, it's different from like when Robinhood, when you withdraw, your only option is to sell it for cash to Robinhood. That's the withdrawal mechanism. On right. Coinbase or Gemini, you can withdraw by saying, hey, I have X amount of Bitcoin here on your platform. I want to keep it as Bitcoin and send it to another Bitcoin wallet that I own over here on another exchange or wherever else. And you can withdraw it without having to turn it into cash. You can do something other than exclusively sell it back to Coinbase. Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's the key that's difference. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what comes with this difference um, is that these companies need to essentially act as a bank because now they give they hold custody and ownership of your assets uh -huh. and they give you the ability to withdraw uh, from them. So in order to meet sort of legal requirements for uh, being this level of gold tier uh, ownership, 
it, the, the companies need to meet uh, what are known as uh, KYC AML or know your customer anti-money laundering laws. And essentially that means that you have to show them your okay. ID when you're signing up. You need to think of this similar to the way that you would be setting up a bank account uh, when you Right. They are... ask you questions like, dude, what, what are you doing with this? Where are you getting money from? You know, <laughs> what are we selling? Show me one of your products. Uh, yeah, there's obviously certain like marijuana businesses. Great example. Uh, you can't get a bank account in most places. So uh, gambling, that's another big one. If you're anything with yeah. gambling, they won't give you a bank account. So um, yeah. And I don't think the realm. questions are as rigorous as as what you described. I think it's essentially like send us a picture with you holding your ID and today's well, date. In this, yeah, in this case, it's for taxes. I, with Coinbase, they're about to do an IPO. They're going to go public. And part of their whole thing is crypto accountability from a tax liability perspective. So they report everything. And hence, they need your data to be able to report to the government your, your fat gains. You know, So you yeah. can't... You can't not report if you're going through one of these, um, you know, gold tier type exchanges. You got to yep. report everything. Yeah. And in general, like when I talk to people about uh, tax implications in crypto, remember that even if you've withdrawn your crypto from an exchange, the, the, the concept of the blockchain as this extremely transparent, uh, open platform for data means that this data will exist forever. So if your goal in moving your money into crypto is to hide from the tax person, that is not a great, uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, that's not a, that's not a great game to play because yeah. uh, if at any point they ever gain the ability to sort of identify that this address is yours, you know, that you're in big trouble. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pay your taxes, that's all. Definitely. So let, um, let's move on. Um, I think the next level up, we'll call it the Platinum League, um, it are, are just additional exchanges that allow you to, um, uh, you know, ha have better functionality, purchase more cryptocurrencies. Um, so Coinbase Pro is a, is a common one. Um, and Coinbase Pro, when you set up your Coinbase account, all you have to do is go to pro.coinbase.com or download the Coinbase Pro yeah. app, and you have access to it already. It's, it's it sort of like a, a different joint name, account. and I don't remember what yeah. it is. G GDAP it or something? GDAX. GDAX. That's yeah. It. They basically bought out another exchange that had more sort of expert use uh, trading type oh, okay. features and branded it as Coinbase Pro. Um, one suggestion I often make to people is that um, Coinbase Pro, despite you know having a pretty uh, similar experience setting up the account, um, it offers lower fees uh, for trading. So if you set up your Coinbase account, sort of go through the all of the process of uh, sending your ID, you now also have access to Coinbase Pro, which has lower fees. Um, there are some mm. quality of life things over in vanilla Coinbase, things like um, recurring buys, if you wanted to always buy Bitcoin every week every month whatever you mm -hmm. can do that through vanilla coinbase you can't do that through pro but if you're sort of speculating in crypto and just sending one-off uh yeah. exchanges then it's it's a good it's a good uh exchange other ones uh binance and kraken binance is the largest crypto exchange in the world and has probably the most uh different cryptocurrencies that are supported by it um, um yeah and one of the key things there is like there's 
there are the kind of the main cryptocurrencies that you can buy through Coinbase, like Ethereum, Bitcoin, Litecoin, um, a, a couple of others that they offer. And then obviously there are hundreds of other coins out there that you can buy on these more like crypto only exchanges like Binance, where first you have to have Bitcoin, then you use that Bitcoin to buy these other cryptocurrencies. So that's that's part of this tier. of It's a little bit more advanced trading and access to stuff that is a, a layer deeper that you can't just buy on like Robinhood, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, moving on, we have the Diamond League ownership. Uh, and this finally brings us to self-custody. So it's this idea that now I can withdraw from the exchange and I'm going to hold this um, on my own wallet application. Um, and so for the Diamond League, uh, we'll say that you withdraw your funds and you send it to a software wallet. Um, so a couple examples of those are like MetaMask. Uh, it's a Chrome extension, a Firefox extension as well that is supported by uh, you know Mac, Linux, and and PC. Mm -hmm. So that's become one of the most popular uh, Ethereum wallets. Um, one thing to note is that uh, there are different types of wallets that that support different types of cryptocurrencies. So MetaMask doesn't support Bitcoin because Bitcoin is on its own uh, blockchain, on its own network. But there are other wallet apps that support, you know, if, if your goal is just to um, just to be able to hold and own different cryptocurrencies, um, there are other ones. But like MetaMask sort of encompasses everything in, in the yeah. Ethereum universe, which is like almost everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, outside that, of, yeah. yeah, go ahead. It goes back to that idea of like the Ethereum public database, like world virtual computer thing. Everything that's built on top of that foundation speaks a common language. And hence you can make a wallet that shares that language in common. So um, that that's pretty cool. But I think we need to be very clear here that this tier is where we switch from somebody else for the really owning the cryptocurrency, except for those moments where you choose to withdraw it. This is you being your own exchange for the you you are holding your own, your own value bank. so you're the yeah you're the bank you're the one that's fundamentally responsible for maintaining the integrity security and access to um you know the the seed phrase that you need to get you know access to this shit so yeah um, and so a seed phrase is uh the first thing that you will run into when you're setting up metamask or any other software uh wallet and it's this concept of um you know, when you send money to your crypto wallet, you're not actually uh, sending uh, anything to the device, whether it's your computer, your phone, whatever. Um, instead, on the blockchain, on this, you know, open public ledger, uh, you are changing the ownership from this particular wallet address to this particular wallet address. And so uh, with that concept, all your wallet is doing it is securing uh, what's called a private key. And the private key has access to make stake claim over the, the public uh, address that mm -hmm. is connected to your wallet. So when you move from an exchange to MetaMask, you're telling the blockchain uh, that now this new address has ownership of the crypto and your MetaMask software will hold on to 
the private key that actually can be used to sign transactions. Um, and the, the uh, go ahead. So it's it's three things then that you need. You have your your address. That's like the the wallet. That's kind of like the public thing everybody can see. Then you have your seed phrase, which is basically like your password that in theory only you know. And then you also have your private key as the third piece of verification, right? And so, so the private key and the seed phrase, you can think of these things as the same. Essentially what a seed oh, okay. phrase is, is an, an abstraction of a private key. So an actual private key is this long list of letters and numbers that's mm -hmm. super hard to remember. If you, you know, copy and paste it, write it down wrong, you've lost access to all of your crypto. So, uh, Instead, uh, cryptographers and, and you know cryptocurrency uh, software engineers have created this concept of a seed phrase. So it's either a 12 or 24 word um, set of uh, English language words, you know, like duck, uh, boat, whatever. And you write down these 12 words or these 24 words, and that essentially gets translated to your private key uh. on, in the wallet app. Uh, but that way, you know, it's 12 words, easy enough for you to write down. It's, right. it's a lot harder to screw up. Um, and so this idea of a seed phrase is, is pretty important. Uh, there are some sort of rules around setting up your seed phrase. Um, typically, when you're starting out uh, custodying your own crypto, uh, you, you want to go through uh, your setup process, um, pen and paper. You write down your, your seeds. Don't take a picture of it. Um, the thought process here is that if at any point iCloud gets hacked again, Google Photos gets hacked again, um, all it takes is a software engineer to write a script that looks for what an image that looks like a seed phrase and you've lost money to all of your crypto. Again, this is sort of from now until forever. So if at one point you took a picture of your seed phrase, from now until forever, if if iCloud ever gets hacked, you know, you've, you've it's out there in the cash. Yeah, and this harkens back to this kind of recurring theme that we we keep coming back to of ultimate security. There's no back door here. There's no um, there's no no centralized company you can call to get a do over or to get something fixed if there's a mistake. So this is the it it's unhackable, which is great, but you have to be really careful about what you do with your seed phrase that gives you that access because it's. It's root access only. That's it. You know, it's it's all yeah. or nothing. There's no <laughs> no limitations if somebody has your seed phrase. They could just empty your wallet like that. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So it's it's worth taking it seriously. I would say um, worth you know spending a little bit of time looking up best practices is, for um, for this, custody. Yeah. This is this is the uh, the level of wallet where we start talking about kind of advanced user kind of ownership. This is definitely not beginner yeah. stuff. This is. I want, I'm thinking about putting 50% of my life savings into crypto, into Bitcoin as a store of value, and I want to leave it there as an investment. Um, and I don't trust any of these exchanges, or I don't trust no banks. Then this is for you. That, that's kind of the, the tier that we're talking about. So um, yeah, and it's 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 a trust thing, and it's also when it comes to uh, the Ethereum network, um, it's like really the ability to start to actually use the crypto because everything up until Diamond League has been pure speculation on the price of crypto. Mm -hmm. Once you've entered Diamond League, you now have the ability to start to use decentralized finance. So you can go to websites like Uniswap, which is a purely decentralized exchange, and you can convert your ether into uh, 
any other cryptocurrency in a way that doesn't involve a third party in the middle, mm -hmm. the way that you know Binance does. Um, and you can go to decentralized borrowing and lending protocols and, and borrow money off of uh, off of your ether. Um, so you can you know participate in a in a lossless lottery where uh, all of the proceeds come from just interest on the payments that exist in there. And when you lose, you don't actually lose any money. You just take your money back and go home. So mm. this is sort of the beginning of like where you can actually do interesting things in crypto. Um, and so it's it's definitely um, the, the a separating point, though, between, you know, pure speculation and actual usage. Right. So the level after this is same concept, but um, even more security, right? Our master league here. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, now we have entered into, I have self-custody. I have the ability to use my crypto, uh, do interesting things with it. And now I really want to hone in on the security aspect of it. So uh, in crypto, there is what's called hardware wallets, which is a physical device that you can uh you can buy, this is a, a treasure, I'm sorry, this is a ledger that I have set up. Um, another company that makes these is called uh, Trezor. Um, and essentially it is a physical device that holds the private keys um, and is built to be incompatible with uh, you know access to the internet. Your MetaMask is a Chrome extension. It sits right alongside every other part of the internet and if metamask gets hacked or if uh you know your browser gets hacked your computer gets hacked um mm -hmm. there are a few different ways that that security can break down um and this concept of a hardware wallet means that now someone physically has to have this device in order to spend my crypto um and so what happens if you lose that fucking thing dude so this goes back to the seed phrase. So I have my seed phrase written down. If I throw this, you know, off a bridge, I can go buy another one, type my seed phrase into this new one, and I have all of my funds again. So seed phrase is the source of truth. Um, and, and that is what can allow you to, um, to recreate your wallet at any point. I see. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, it's it's sort of like designed to be as secure a way to hold crypto as possible, and so um, uh, I I think that there it's sort of a new field. You know, uh, Ledger just got hacked recently. Um, it's worth noting that like their hack has nothing to do with the hardware itself. They had a marketing database where when you sign up, they they write down your um, your information and like that data leaked. Uh, but so far, there hasn't stuff. really been much in terms of like vulnerabilities to uh, hardware wallets. Again, I think there there was some other um, uh, at like a DevCon convention. There was like some uh, work that's being done to potentially require. Uh, it's not worth going into, but like at this point, this is the most most secure way that you yeah. can. Yeah, but it, it makes sense, right? It's offline, so it's hard to get access yeah. to. And I think that the thing you keep mentioning, MetaMask, and I, I think the idea of these like digital wallets, right? You're looking at a hardware wallet that he's holding in his hand. Um, these digital wallets like MetaMask, 
they're they're just as secure in theory in terms of cryptography. It's just this idea that your browser has a lot of touch points with the internet. Think about you know your browser might be wearing a condom, but it's out there getting frisky with all these other apps, all these other things that are trying to to mess with it. So you're reliant on all of these other services to be secure. But uh, like keyloggers, for example, that that's the kind of stuff that can get pretty scary when you're interfacing with this digital wallet. Um, that's not really a, a threat for something like this hardware wallet where a keylogger can't get to it. Somebody has to come physically steal it from you. And I guess that's a whole nother, you know, uh, set of parameters, put it in a safe or whatever the hell you do. But even beyond... We'll we'll get into the risk profile as well. Like this is obviously a risk, right? Uh, It's like anything else. Uh, There's different risks for different ways of of holding your crypto. Right. So what what do we got next though? What's the level beyond this? Because I know you got something. Yeah. So finally, the Grandmaster League is essentially sort of a combination of of everything that we've learned so far. It's like acknowledging okay. that, um, you know, holding 100% of your crypto in an exchange has a certain set of risks. Holding all of your crypto in self-custody has a certain set of risks. Um, having, you know, one wallet versus 10 wallets and spreading your crypto out has different sets of risks. Um, so it's a combination of sort of everything that we've learned. And it's also the introduction toward where the industry is going, which is this concept of social recovery. Hmm. Um, and so social recovery is an alternative to the seed phrase. So, uh, it's this idea that, uh, instead of a single source of truth, I can break my, uh, owner, uh, the, the private key into many pieces and I can it's set like a up horcrux. a system. Yeah, exactly. It's like a horcrux. <laughs> uh, uh, and I can set up a system where, um, you know, three out of five of my of these pieces can restore my wallet. Um, and so uh, one example of this is Argent Wallet. It's a, a mobile app that uh, lets you do it sets up. It lets you set up what are called guardians in their case. Um, and you know, you start out with access to your email and phone number. That's guardian number one. If you don't add any others and your email and your phone number get hacked, you're out of your money. Mm-hmm. But you can create new guardians. So I then have access to um, add, you know, a couple hardware wallets uh, as like a- access to those mm-hmm. seed phrases can help me recover access to my Argent. I can also add, you know, family members. Um, to vouch for me and say that, okay, this is uh, like Kevin lost his wallet. Uh, you know, let's say a sibling or a, a parent, whatever, uh, can then go ahead and, and be one of my points of uh, one of my Harcrux pieces. And so <laughs> um, this, this concept, like anything else, is sort of like uh, still early days in crypto. So mm-hmm. Argent Wallet exists. Um, Another example of of this concept, uh, this is oftentimes referred to as like a multi-signature wallet. Um, Gnosis Safe, it's G-N-O-S-I-S Safe, is Uh one that's used a lot for people that like uh, teams that need to have joint custody over crypto. So you can set it up to uh, have access split amongst uh, N number of parties. So yeah, it's just this like realization that we don't need to necessarily die on the sword of like, you have to custody a hundred percent of your crypto by yourself. 
Uh, and like, even right. if that's your grandmother, like she needs to write that seed phrase down. We need uh, some backup plans. It. So that, that makes sense. You know, ways that you can, you know, pretty securely verify across multiple data points that are individually sort of hard to verify. I, I think that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. So um, cool. I, I guess to kind of wrap this discussion up, um, a good angle is where do you fit in, right? How, how do I know which league is for me? Am I a Coinbase kind of girl? Am I a cracking kind of girl? How does one decide, Kevin? Yeah, and it's really up to your own set of... Um, like risk tolerances. So I was saying how um, exchanges have risks. The first crypto exchange ever was Mt. Gox and uh, MT Gox. It started out as a Magic the Gathering online exchange and it sort of turned into the first Bitcoin exchange. Mm -hmm. um, and it turned out to be one of the largest hacks in crypto history where because all ownership of the Bitcoin was centralized to the exchange, the hacker just walked away with everyone's money. Mm -hmm. um, and this this has happened a lot in crypto in to different exchanges, generally smaller, um, where, you know, it's a centralized point of failure. Um, and, you know, since then, exchanges like Coinbase have gone out of their way to ensure the crypto that exists on there. Um, and there are like different uh, improvements to those sort of assurances that have gone that have increased over time. But like anything else, there there is the sort of like um, a, a set of different risks that exist in an exchange world. You know, in the physical world, uh, your house can catch fire. Someone can come right. to your house with a five dollar wrench and ask you for your crypto politely. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, flooding can you know destroy the the paper that you wrote it on. So um, yeah. There's loss, user error, mistakes are really easy to make in this in this uh, field. So, like, if you don't feel comfortable doing a particular, um, you know, custody solution, like that's okay, and you don't have to go for the grandmaster league all at the beginning. Right. I, I think that's the risk management is twofold. Where yes, centralizing on exchanges is risky compared to the risk of owning it by yourself, but there's more. Uh, user error tolerance on exchanges because they're built with a user interface. They're kind of designed to emulate a little more of what you would expect from a stock exchange or a bank or what have you. So um, there's less risk from a user input kind of standpoint using something in the bronze or gold tier compared to um, like the Grandmaster League where if you mess up, it's it's a hundred percent on you, and it's pretty easy just to be one character off and make a really big mistake. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a question for individual progress on this crypto journey. That's for sure. And there's no shame who's starting on on uh, on Coinbase. That, that that I bought my first crypto on Coinbase, man. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. it's fine. Still got it. Still there. Good. Yeah. I mean, doing all right. Everyone's going to be at a different spot, and you know it doesn't always make sense to have every every all your eggs in one basket. You can True. leave some on an exchange, leave someone in a hardware wallet, put some in a software wallet. Doesn't yep. matter. That's... Let's get to the lightning round, dude. Let's do it. Absolutely. Um, so, how about this phrase? Not your keys, not your crypto. I hear I hear crypto heads saying that a lot. What what are we getting out there? Yeah, it's sort of how we started this episode off. It's this reminder that uh, when a bank owns your money or a crypto exchange owns your money, it's not technically your money. There is, they have an IOU and, you know, there's a legal system built around banks that says, you know, what they can and can't do with your money. But, 
you know, historically, it's it's worth remembering that um, when people centralize wealth um, in one way or another, um, it can oftentimes be used in ways that uh, are not always intended. So um, 2008 financial crisis is a good example here where uh, banks having, you know, total access to everyone's funds have the ability to uh, like leverage the housing market to the extreme mm -hmm. and uh, collapse the global economy in the process. So I think it's a the the phrase "not your keys, not your crypto" refers to the private keys that you're holding on to. It's it's this idea that um, having custody of crypto spread out to the entire world instead of centralizing into these large institutional players um, is sort of a better. Um, a better design okay. from a security perspective. So it's like an anti-exchange rhetoric a little bit uh, of like, if we yeah. just all own crypto and it's all sitting on exchanges, we're really not in a better position than if we're all owning it individually. That's kind of the point of the whole thing that we're doing here. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. So can I insure crypto in my custody? What, what sort of insurance Oof. exists in the crypto world? Yeah, so this is a tough one. Again, going back to that ultimate security, uh, generally no is going to be your answer. There's no FDIC, uh, nothing like that. And I don't think you can get anything akin to like homeowner's assurance or something like that, like you can with a lot of your traditional assets. And I imagine the reason for that is because this is cutting edge technology. It, technology uh, ins insurance companies don't quite know how to price it or process the risk because it's so new and individualistic based on your knowledge and what you're trying to do with the crypto. So it's just not something a lot of places have touched yet. I'm sure there are some decentralized type insurances that exist. I, I couldn't name one off the top of my head. I, that's also some very new kind of cutting edge stuff. Um, uh, but that might only apply to, to like very specific app, you know, smart contracts within like the Ethereum network, you know, there might be insurances baked into a smart contract if something goes wrong or, or something, some other extreme scenario happens. But generally speaking, no, not by conventional terms. I don't think you can really get this stuff insured. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. Um, cold wallet. What does this mean? I, this is another term that I hear a lot. Um, what, what's, what's the difference between a cold wallet and a hot wallet? Yeah, so it's it comes from uh, the terminology used by uh, like hosting data hosting providers. You'll hear from like Amazon and um, uh, you know DigitalOcean and stuff. So the the concept between hot and cold is hot is something that is used uh, frequently. Um, so in the case of a crypto wallet, maybe it's like you set up your MetaMask. Maybe you put less money in there. That's sort of your play money. That's what you're going to use to, to interact with DeFi, with decentralized finance. Um, and it's sort of, you could think of it like a checking account in a sense. Um, mm -hmm. the, a cold wallet, on the other hand, you can think maybe more so uh, in terms of a saving. Maybe it's something you leave on a hardware wallet. Um, maybe it's uh, just money that you're sort of not anticipating uh, touching and kind of just like using this more infrequently. There's not a sort of distinction between the two. It's not like you have to decide what a wallet will be when you're setting it up, but um, it's more of a kind of just terminology difference. Okay, gotcha. Yep. And so final question, what happens when you die in 
life well and in crypto um a big question and an easier to answer question uh no it, it it's not great for crypto you really need to have a plan in place in terms of a will or a safe or some means of access so that people can get to your crypto uh this has happened before especially when crypto was very new uh, i mean people can pass away suddenly so if you're just buying crypto or you were mining it and it's in some uh, cold wallet somewhere and it's just sitting there in the freezer wrapped up in an old ice cream carton and it's labeled you know was something weird don't do not toss or whatever um yeah you 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 need to know how to access that because um there is no back door this this ain't facebook this ain't chase uh you can't just call up and say hey you know grandpa's gone we need access to this account so that we can pay for his funeral there there's nobody to call for bitcoin it's it's just there now there might be some um exam or exceptions here like for coinbase for example if you can somehow prove through a death certificate i don't know what their process is like but um that is one benefit the things being a little more centralized that they could make a, a, an executive call in theory to release funds um if you could prove it without a shadow of a doubt but that's specific to uh, individual exchanges and generally speaking um you, you're not going to have an option when it comes to crypto yeah, and crypto inheritance is like a known problem space that exists. So there, there are mm -hmm. some projects I, I haven't looked too closely into them, but uh, Safe Haven and Trustverse sound like they're trying to work on more mm -hmm. decentralized uh, solutions here. Okay. But um, in, in the meantime, you know, writing up just quick instructions for a loved one is kind of all you need. Um, yeah. Preferably, you know, it can get as complicated as you want. You could set it up so that like they can only follow these instructions after you passed. Maybe that's like through safety deposit box at a bank, whatever, like you, you yeah. can kind of look into different solutions that exist, but um, yeah. Yeah. You, you got to think about it if you're going to go down that route, but uh, there you go, Kevin, another 37 minutes has gone by uh, deeper into the <sighs> cryptocurrency world, but I'm yeah, um, you know, custody is a big one and I'm glad we did a whole episode just on this and hopefully uh, you understand a little bit more the, the spectrum that exists for cryptocurrency ownership uh, from offline wallets to online exchanges. Uh, Kevin, it's always a privilege, my friend. Folks, make sure you follow us uh, anywhere that you'd find a podcast, Spotify, iTunes, and of course, here on YouTube. Just type uh, the new blocks in and you'll find us. We'll have some more branding coming up in the future with this new logo. But thank you so much for joining us so far. We'll see you next time. See ya.